going to talk about tithes and offerings, and uh, it's, of course, uh, it's not a subject that we talk about often around here, uh, but I, I do feel that, that we need to look at it, and today we're going to be looking at it from the Old Testament. We're going to start our journey uh, looking at tithes and offerings from the Old Testament, and the tithe literally means the tenth. Everyone said tenth. Or in Western culture, we would say 10%. And the tithe was an, an obligation. It was an offering that began in the Old Testament. And it was, it was as we'll see in a moment here, it was brought into the law. And, uh, and it was not optional. It was something that was required of, of the Israelites and the Hebrews, and, uh, and the law of Moses required 10% of an Israelite's first fruits or their increase. And, and it was based on the idea that God provided the harvest, that God provided their sustenance, that God was Jehovah Jireh, the provider. And uh, I wonder if anybody could just testify by waving your hand that God has provided for you. That God is indeed Jehovah Jireh, the provider. And, uh, and he does own the cattle on a thousand hill. He owns, he owns it all. Everything in this world is his. He created it. And anything that we have, he gave it to us. And that was the, that was the thinking uh, in the culture of the Old Testament. That God provided everything. And so the first part and the tithe of that first part, 10% specifically, was returned to God. It wasn't given to God. It was returned to God. And that's a key aspect of how we should think when we give to the things of God. That we're not just giving him a gift. Sometimes I've had people say, well, I'm, I'm going to give God uh, a gift. Well, in reality, you can't give a gift to someone. For example, if I... If, I, uh, if you give me a tie and then, uh, and then I give it to you, I'm just returning something to you. If you loan me your car and then I bring it back and say, hey, I've, I've, I've got a car for you. I want to give you this car. They're going to look at me like I'm crazy because they, it's their car. They loaned it to me. And everything that we have in reality is on loan from God. We're stewards. We're managers of God's money, of God's world, of God's resources. Uh, if you own land, uh, that's God's resources that he's loaned to you. And legally, in, in the eyes of man, it might be yours. But spiritually, in the eyes of God, it's his. And so that's the key to how we view uh, how, we, how we give to the Lord. And giving was a reminder, the tithe specifically was a reminder to Israel that all things were God's. And it was also a show of thankfulness for his provision. And gratitude is a beautiful, uh, is a beautiful thing. Gratitude touches the heart of God. Gratitude touches the hearts of people. And so they gave out of gratitude. They gave out of thankfulness for the goodness of God. But also, the tithe was designed and designated and set apart, as we'll see in a moment, for the priesthood, for the Levitical priesthood that cared for the congregation, that cared for the tabernacle, and that operated in spiritual things. The Levitical priesthood 
was not like the other 11 tribes. It was a set-apart tribe. It was a tribe that was dedicated to the service of God, to the things of God, to the work of God, to the sacrifice uh, of God. And so the tithe was for the Levitical priesthood. And it was not for the temple or for the tabernacle. Uh, It was for the priesthood alone. And it also provided for festivals and for the needy. And we'll look at that for a moment. Now let's go to the next slide. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 14. Genesis chapter 14 and verse number 18. And we're going to be heavy on Scripture here today. And we're going to, we're going to stay pri- uh, primarily in the Old Testament. And then we'll move this into the, ne- the New Testament uh, the next time that uh, we pick this lesson up. And, and the reason that it's important that we tie the Old Testament and New Testament together is uh, I, I hear increasingly from, uh, from my generation, I, I, anytime I write about this on, on the church website or anytime anything's mentioned in a public forum, I find that my generation uh, rejects the idea of giving, tithing, offerings, and they, they view it as specifically for the Old Testament and not relevant for the New Testament church. And we're going we're gonna to prove that that's absolutely not the case. Tithing is still in effect for the New Testament church today. And uh, I've often found that people who reject every aspect of the Old Testament, they reject morality. And it's interesting to me that the same people that want to reject certain portions of, of the Old Testament, uh, they want to keep the Ten Commandments. Okay? But they, but they reject certain things. So we do know that Jesus came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. So when Jesus came, his sacrifice fulfilled the law. So I'm thankful that we don't have to, to go once a year and take a lamb to Jerusalem. Aren't you thankful for that? Uh, how many of y'all have a lamb laying around at home? I'm glad. I'm glad that we don't have to do that. Uh, how many have a bull laying around at home and you can just take it and sacrifice that to the Lord? No, no, I'm glad that Jesus was the perfect lamb, the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. He was the lamb of God. And so he fulfilled that aspect of the law. And so that, of course, is not an effect. But many parts and, and all of the Old Testament moral law is still in effect. And, uh, and we need to live by that. Now, Genesis 14, uh, you'll see it mentioned right here at the very beginning of the verse, uh, Melchizedek. Everyone try to say Melchizedek three or four times in a row. It's hard to do. But Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. Now, I, I'm, I would love to, and, but I'm not going to. Uh, how many have ever studied Melchizedek? Quick, quick show of hands. Have you ever studied Melchizedek? Melchizedek is one of the most interesting uh, figures in the Old Testament, and he's much debated, highly controversial. Uh, and I've talked to pastor about this many times. I'd love to hear him teach a whole lesson on Melchizedek. Many people believe that Melchizedek was a theophany, which is a manifestation of God, and uh, or some believe that he was illustrative of God, that he was exactly what the verse says here, that he was a priest and that he was a representative of God. 
Uh, either way, it's important to see how, how Abraham responded to Melchizedek, whether he was a theophany or whether he was a man of God, a holy man, uh, whatever the case may be. You'll see in verse 19 that, uh, that he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of the Most High God. So Melchizedek blessed Abram, who would become known as Abraham just a little later on, possessor of heaven and earth. How many recognize that God is the possessor of heaven and earth? Not just heaven. He is the possessor of heaven and earth. Some people relegate God to heaven. But God is all-powerful in heaven and in earth. All things are His. The earth is the, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything is the Lord's. And so we see this articulated in verse 19, that God is the possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thine hand. So Abram has just rescued Lot. Uh, from, uh, from evil kings, and he'd saved his life and delivered his family from captivity. Many of you are familiar with that story. And so Abraham was thankful. His heart was grateful to God. God had given him a victory. And so he came in contact with Melchizedek, and Melchizedek blessed him and, uh, and blessed the Most High God and gave God the glory for the victory. It's important that we give God the glory for victories in our lives. It's important that we give God the glory for the blessings in our lives. It's important that we give God the glory for every good thing that's in our lives. And so in the middle of all this, Abraham, or Abram at this time, responds and gives Melchizedek tithes, or 10%. Everyone said 10%. He gives him 10% of all everything. And so this is the first time, and this is, this is pre-law. The law hadn't been given to Moses yet. Uh, and so this is the first time in Scripture that we see the tithe instituted. We have an example of tithing. And, uh, and of course, it's Abraham, the, uh, the father of the Israelite people. And Abraham was, a, was known as faithful. He was faithful. If, if you were to ask people who are familiar with the Bible one word to describe Abraham, they would say faithful. Most people would. He was a faithful man, and, and he gave us an example of tithing. And that's a very important precedent that we see set in the Old Testament. Now, in, uh, in our next slide here, I'd like us to look at Genesis 28. So if you have your Bibles, turn over with me to Genesis chapter 28 and verse number 20. And we see that this precedent is continued in, uh, in Abraham's grandson, Jacob, because Jacob also offers a tithe. And uh, we see this in, when Jacob is, uh, after he's had the dream and the angels have, have uh, come up and down the ladder and he said, surely the presence of the Lord was in this place and I didn't know it. I, in my sleep, the presence of the Lord was in this place, and he sensed that God was blessing him. He sensed that God was with him. He sensed that God was protecting him. And if you remember Jacob's early life, Jacob created a lot of trouble for himself because he was a, he was a liar. He was a supplanter. Uh, he was a, a troublemaker. And, and because of that, he got himself in all kinds of, of bad 
situations. And, uh, but God was dealing with him through all of those things. I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I'm extremely grateful that in spite of my failures, God has had his hand on my life. I'm extremely grateful that in spite of the fact that I've messed up at times, God has showed up in the middle of my circumstance and he's continued to bless. And Jacob recognized this and, and he recognized the hand of God. Faithfulness always is birthed by recognizing the hand of God in your life. If you reject the presence of God, if you reject the hand of God, you will always struggle with faithfulness. And people who struggle with faithfulness are always, and I mean that literally, they are always an ungrateful people. Ever known someone who could never be thankful for anything or, or you know, one of those kind of people you could, I mean, you could buy them a car and give them a house and, and uh, you give them the last dime in your wallet and they still wouldn't be grateful? Anybody ever known anybody like that? Ladies, stop looking at that husband beside you. No, I'm just kidding. You know, there, there's people like that. And, and people who are like that are not faithful people because they don't think they have a reason to be faithful because they think everybody owes them something. And when you approach God that way, you'll, you'll never be grateful, you'll never be thankful. But when you have a thank you on your lips, there's something that wells up inside of you that says, Lord, I want to bless you because you've blessed me. I, I, I can't thank you enough and there's nothing that I could do to repay your goodness in my life. That's the attitude of a believer. That's the attitude of a grateful heart. And so Jacob was overcome with gratitude and he vowed a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. Everyone said God's house. That's very important. He said, this, this is the place where God dwells. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. So Jacob vowed a vow to God and said, Lord, if you will be with me in these endeavors, if you will keep me and I will, I will dedicate this place to you, and I will give you a tenth of everything that I have. He vowed a vow to the Lord. It's very important to keep the vows that you make to the Lord. It's very important to keep the vows that you make to the Lord. And so we have two precedents. It started with Abraham. His grandson continued the precedent. This is pre-law. So they did that without uh, a Bible. They did it without a preacher. They did it without a prophet. They did it without a pastor. They did it without. Uh, they did it before God ever said, "Listen, if you give, uh, I'll give back to you." They did it before all of those. They had no promises from God that said, "You know, if you'll give, I'll bless you." They had no law. They had nobody telling them. There was no guilt trip. They said, out of the out of the goodness of their heart, pre-word, they said, "Lord." I want to give you a tenth of everything that I have. That's a powerful thing. I want you to think about that. That is a powerful thing. They made a decision on their own volition to give a tenth of everything that they had to God. What an amazing thing that is. They had a desire to give out of their own heart. Now, let me take you to the next slide. 
And I want to look at the tithe. Everyone said the tithe when it was first introduced into the law. So now God is introducing the, the law of tithing uh, into, uh, into the Jewish culture. And it's Leviticus 27 and 30. And it says, in all the tithe, everyone said 10% of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord, or it's set apart for the Lord. So the, the 10% of all of the, of the increase is set apart for the Lord. And if a man will at all redeem or buy back out of his tithes, 10%, he shall add thereto the fifth part thereof. So in other words, Israelites could give 10% in produce or they could give 12% in cash. So if they, wanted to, if they didn't want to give... Uh, cash, or it would have been coin. If they didn't want to give that way, they, they wanted to give uh, out of the produce, then they had to give more. And when it came to livestock, a shepherd had to set aside every tenth for God. So they would literally count. They would count ten, and the tenth would be God's. And it was decided by, uh, not by, they couldn't look at the animal and say, well, that's, that's the best looking one, so I'm going to keep that one. And then I'm going to give the worst one to God. See what I'm saying? They couldn't look out over their crops and say, well, well, that one over there, that field did the best. And so I'm going to keep that one. And I'm going to give the one that just barely did anything to God this year. See what I'm saying? And, and by the way, people, that's human nature, isn't it? We're, we're kind of selfish by nature, aren't we? Am I the only one? I'm selfish by nature. I have to fight it. I'm like the Apostle Paul. I have to die daily to my selfish nature. And if left to our own devices, we would do that. You know, we would give God the least that we could give him. We, we, would, give God the, we would give him the bottom of the barrel, and we'd take our favorite, and we'd keep our favorite over here, and we'd give God the, what we didn't really want anyway. And God said, no, you're not going to give your tithe that way. You're going to just count it and give it, and whichever one it is, if it's the best one, it's the best one. If it's the worst one, it's the worst one, but you're going to give it to God. And so that's exactly how they did it. Now, I find it interesting. You know, we, we exchange currency in, uh, in modern Western culture. And, and so we couldn't exchange livestock if we wanted to. We're not a, we're not a, uh, a culture that, that operates that way any longer. Although in the, in the early days of American Pentecost, uh, people did often tithe when, when, when there were uh, farmers and that uh, was perfectly acceptable. There were farmers that didn't have, they didn't have money, but they had livestock. And they would, they would bring their tithe to the house of God and they would support the work of the ministry and the work of the church through their livestock or through their crops. And that's perfectly acceptable. I do find it interesting. I've never heard anyone preach this before. But if they didn't want to give, because I've heard people say, well, uh, I don't believe in tithing. If, if I was a farmer, I would give. Because the Bible talks about farming. Everybody still with me? Let's say, well, the Bible talks about livestock and it talks about the produce and it talks about the seed and I'm not a farmer, uh, so I don't, I don't have to give those things. Well, first of all, you're ignoring the principle of what the word was talking about. This was currency. Livestock and produce was currency. It was ancient world currency. It's equivalent to what we use as in, a, in a financial system in Western culture with, uh, with cash. And uh, so 
The principle is that it was currency. It was the currency that they bartered with and traded with. And so everybody, if you're approaching it with any intellectual honesty at all, you would understand that that was the equivalent of us trading cash today. They would trade livestock even among themselves. And, and so it's how they supported the kingdom of God. But I do find it interesting because, because currency was more valuable in those days. Uh, if they did not want to give of livestock or produce, they had to give more. They had to give 12%. Isn't that interesting? And so if they wanted to trade out, they actually had to give more than the 10%. Now, I'm not preaching that you have to tithe 12%. Don't, please don't take, uh, take it from that. But I am just saying that there is precedent that God said, listen, if you're not going to give it that way, you're going to give 12%. Now, let's go to the next slide. Tithes was established for the Levites or the ministry. Everyone said the ministry. And uh, as I said, we're not going to dive into the New Testament today, but I'm going to jump ahead and just tell you that the, the, uh, the relevance for us today is that the tithe is intended for the ministry of the church, for, uh, for pastoral ministry, Numbers 18 and 21. And behold, I have given the children of Levi all the tenth, Someone said all the tenth, not a portion of the tenth, but all the tenth in Israel for an inheritance. Everyone said inheritance. It was their inheritance. Now, the Levites didn't have an inheritance of land. They didn't have an inheritance of, of, of blessings in the same way that the other 11 tribes did. They were consecrated unto God. And God said, I want the Levites to be dependent on me. I want the Levites to be set aside. They're they're a, they're a consecrated tribe. They're a consecrated people. They're a called out people. And so the other 11 tribes are going to tithe into the Levitical tribe so that they can live. And that's how they'll be provided for. That was God's plan for the Old Testament ministry. And by the way, it's still God's plan for New Testament ministry today. It's still how God operates and even the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. And so the Levitical uh, tribe was set aside for the service of the tabernacle. Notice that the tithe was not set aside for the building itself. The tithe was set aside for the Levitical priesthood. And so we see that uh, this was important to God, and it was important to the working of spiritual things. And God has always considered spiritual things to be worthy of full-time attention. I'm going to say that again. God has always considered spiritual things to be worthy of full-time attention. I had someone tell me one time, and I'm about to be personal. It's not in my notes. And, uh, and, uh, but I, I feel to go ahead and share this with you. And every pastor... Every preacher, every evangelist has faced this at one time or another. But I had someone come up to me one time and say, you know, what do you do for a living? And I said, well, uh, I'm a preacher and uh, I'm a minister and, uh, and I'm, I'm very thankful to be able to, to, uh, to be supported by the church. And this was many years ago before I came to Apostolic Tabernacle. I was an evangelist at the time. And, uh, and, and I'll never forget, he, he looked at my wife and she was standing right there, and he said, uh, when is that guy going to get a real job? I'll never forget that. 
And he said, when's he going to get a real job? And this was a church person. This wasn't just some guy on the street. This was a church person. And I immediately perceived that his spirit had no respect for spiritual things, no desire for spiritual things. Because when you have that attitude that ministry is just, that ought to just be something you do on the side like a hobby. Ministry and the things of God is not a hobby. And when you relegate spiritual things to being a hobby or a sideline or just something, then you've, you've, you've revealed an attitude towards the things of God that's very dangerous where you say nothing is holy, nothing is set apart for God, nothing is important. Spiritual things aren't important enough to be worthy of full-time attention. Listen, if people can spend their entire life throwing footballs on football fields and we pay them millions and millions and millions of dollars and nobody bats an eye, And yet we're resentful when people are, many, in fact, the average pastor is just barely making a living. The average pastor is just barely making it. And yet people will even resent that at times. And, and they often are not concerned with whether or not they're, they're paying attention to full. Now, and I've had people say, well, you know, uh, uh, you know, is prayer, is prayer I had someone say to me one time, is, is prayer really something that, uh, that a minister uh, ought to be doing every single day? And I said, absolutely. I said, the ministry is set apart for prayer and study and reading of the word and to bring the word to the congregation. And it's a powerful thing. I'm thankful for the ministers of God in my life. I'm thankful for a pastor. I'm thankful for a bishop. I'm thankful for the word that they bring into my life. Prayer is not a waste of time. Fasting is not a waste of time. Preaching is not a waste of time. Praying for the sick is not a waste of time. Study of the word is not a waste of time. It's, it's powerful things. And of course, that's just a small part of what ministry does in fact it's just the very very tip of the iceberg but so god set it apart he set the tithe apart to sustain the levites and uh, and the ministry of the church now let's go to the difference between tithes and offering and we'll just look at this briefly the difference between tithes and offerings and we'll go to deuteronomy chapter 12 and verse number four and uh the reason that i want to focus on this difference for a moment is because many people use the word tithe and what they really mean is an offering. Tithes and offerings. Everyone said tithes and offerings are two different things. They're two different things. And I'm going to read the scripture and then we'll talk about it. Do not worship the Lord your God in the way the pagan peoples worship their gods. Rather, you must seek the Lord your God at the place of worship he himself will choose from among all the tribes the place where his name will be honored. There you will bring your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, your sacred offerings, your offerings to fulfill a vow, your voluntary offerings, and your offerings of the firstborn animals of your herds and flocks. There you and your families will feast in the presence of God. Now, the difference between tithes and offerings is that tithes is 10%. We've established that. Tithes 
is mandatory. In other words, it's required of God. God requires 10% absolutely no matter what. No matter what, he requires 10%. Offerings are given out of the goodness of our heart. They're free will. And so we give those, catch this, on top of tithes. Not in replacement of tithes. An offering does not replace tithes. You can't say, well, I gave an offering, but I didn't tithe, so I'm okay. No. An offering is completely separate from tithes. In fact, you shouldn't give an offering if you're not paying your tithes. Offerings are an extension of tithes, and God blesses that. God blesses offerings, and so they're a separate thing. But offerings are, people often say, well, how much should I give in offerings? That's between you and God. God never gave us a number for offerings. He never said you have to give you know, 15% offerings, 3% offerings, 1% offerings. That's not how God did it. He said it's between me and you, and you do it out of the goodness of your heart. I will say this. I will say this. The more you give the more you're expressing your gratitude to God. And that's an important thing. Now, continuing this this discussion of the difference between tithes and offerings. The tithe, as we've already said, was not optional. That off the top it belonged to God, they repaid it. But it wasn't the only mandatory tithe. Now catch this. And we didn't read the scriptures because we don't have time to. But in the Old Testament, they also tithed to support a special jubilee festival. They took a third tithe every three years to take care of orphans, widows, and the poor. These mandatory offerings averaged out to be about 23% a year. Can you imagine that? So they were in tithes, not offerings, but in tithes above and beyond the Levitical tithe. They were tithing about 23% a year. And on top of these compulsory tithes, in other words, those tithes were mandated by God. They They were regularly giving free will offerings. These were gifts that expressed the Israelites' gratefulness through voluntary giving in response to their devotion. So at a bare minimum, they gave 23% a year, but there was no ceiling to their generosity. In other words, there there was no limit to it. Some people gave 50%, some people gave 40%, and on and on and on. And they would give out of their excess. In fact, at one point, how many remember this? Moses had to ask them to stop giving. Because they were giving so sacrificially. They were bringing, they were bringing so sacrificially to the, the spirit of giving got a hold of them so strongly that Moses said, we've got to stop. We've got, we have enough. We have, can you imagine if we had to say, we have enough. We have the spirit of giving. It's, it, we've sacrificed enough. That's exactly what Moses did. Now, you won't hear very many TV preachers do that. But I can tell you, there is a moment where if the spirit of giving gets a hold of you, You'll get to the place where God will say, just hold on, I'm going to bless you now. Just hold on, because I'm, I'm about to bless you. And that's exactly what happened. Now, the principles of first fruits and plenty. Let's look at Proverbs, and I'm out of time. Proverbs 3 and 9. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits. Everyone said first fruits of all thine increase. Let me just break through all of the theology here and give you the, the, how that applies to your life today. First fruits. I'm just going to break it down real simple. Don't pay all your bills and buy the, the, uh, that extra thing you want over there before you give God his tithe. That's, in a nutshell, that's the principle of the first fruit. Don't pay everybody else. Don't pay Bank of America. Don't pay Wells Fargo. Don't go buy that extra, uh, you know, that extra ribeye steak that you wanted last week and that extra suit and that nice tie and that handbag. 
and, uh, and, and, and don't send, uh, you know, old Georgia power supply theirs before you give God what's his. And that's where a lot of people mess up with God. They, they give everyone else what they owe them, but they, and then they don't have anything left over for God. But if you would give God what's his, I promise you, you'd have left over for everything else that you need. That's the principle of plenty. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty. Everyone said plenty. And thy presses shall burst out with new wine. So if the world and everything in it truly belongs to the Lord, why would we not trust God to provide out of what's already his? How many trust the Lord today? We trust the Lord today. Now I'm going to close with this final slide. God will give you more than you could ever steal from him. That's a principle that you can take to the bank. God will give you more than you could ever steal from him. Malachi 3 and 8. Will a man rob God? Yet he have robbed me. How? They said. They've robbed me by withholding their tithes and offerings. And because of that, you're cursed with a curse. For ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. How many see that's a promise? I'll open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. So God is literally saying, you don't have to steal from me. That's mine. You don't have to steal it from me. If you'll give me what's mine, I'm going to pour out a blessing on you that's larger than anything you could ever withhold from me. And so if we give to the Lord, he absolutely, absolutely will bless us. Stand with me. I'm, I'm completely done. And uh, I want to make you a promise today. If you will be faithful to God, God will always be faithful to you. I have never seen the righteous forsaken. I've seen them beat up a little bit. But I have never seen them forsaken. Or his seed begging bread. Can we lift up our hands? Lord, we love you today. God, I know when we talk about money, it gets quiet, it gets tight. And Lord, we get a hold of our wallet and we cling to it with all our heart. But I pray that you would release a spirit of faith and generosity where we would value spiritual things, where we would value you, where we would give out of the goodness of our heart, God. And I pray that you would pour out blessings on every faithful member of this church, on every heart. And I pray, Lord, that there would be people who would have the faith to prove you, Lord. And I pray that you would bless them. We give you praise in Jesus' name. And everyone said, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Find three or four people. Tell them you're glad to see them in church today. Tell them God bless you for making your way to church.